We've been in the middle of a series called Kingdom Culture. Um, we've spoken a, about a lot of things, so we welcome you through jumping into the halfway in. I'm going to do a quick summary of the series so far so that you kind of step in with us. Um, but we're exploring the idea of the culture of God's kingdom and how that relates to our everyday walk in Christ. And um, we also talk as a result of talking about culture, the things that form culture, which are values and, 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 and uh, kind of like perspectives about life, etc. Um, and uh, in, in the church world, um, culture has become a bit of a buzzword. Right? Many people are using the word culture in front of many things because what they want to see is they want to see a lifestyle of the practices of what makes a Christian become a mature and a strong Christian. So they try to make a culture of everything. We speak about a culture of worship or a culture of the prophetic, a culture of the supernatural, a culture of discipleship. And, and, and many churches will go and say, this is the importance. This is the most important culture that you must develop in your church. And, um, and I believe all of them because it is important for us to develop culture in our church. But what I truly believe is that many of us are, are, are grasping at elements of kingdom culture and we absolutize the one element of kingdom culture but what we really should be doing is we should be understanding what the culture of the kingdom includes and realize that it's the kingdom's culture here in our church and here on earth that helps us to experience the realities of the kingdom of God it creates an environment where we with the will of God the ideas of God has a a friendly habitat to grow in and like we've always said here is when we follow God's principles we get to experience God's products so often Christians go and blame God for things that happen in their lives but if you really look God has been absent in their lives maybe not in the way that they think or intend but the practical side of living according to God's word has not been there and so the reality is, is if you live according to man's principles and, 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 and man's habits and man's ways, you will produce man's outcomes and man's products. It's just a matter of fact. And if you want to experience the beautiful promises that we sang about, then there is a step that we as Christians need to take to come into alignment with the way God wants things done. Because it's only his ways that produce his outcomes. And so really what we need to look at is we need to look at this bigger umbrella called the kingdom's culture and, and, and see what all that it includes so that we might become participants of those things and get to experience the amazing benefit of living in this reality. Because um, they create an environment where God's will and his desires, they make sense and they start to flourish. So the word culture, in my opinion, just means our everyday existence that characterizes us. So every company has a culture. Every nation has a as many cultures. You have subcultures, and so uh, you even have cultures that are generational specific, right? The Gen Zs and the Millennials, and they all have a little bit of a distinct culture. And wherever there is a distinction in culture, it's almost like you start to develop a small little people group of its own. 
It's like people that think the same, people that act the same, they have similar linguistic terms, right? Uh, and, and, and they understand one another when they, when they, when they talk and when they, on, on, on text media, they, they talk in certain ways. You read that text as a, as, a, as a mom and you go like, what the heck does all this mean? I don't even know what these things stand for, but apparently it's communicating. It's because there has been formed, there's formed a small subculture within the bigger culture and they characterize uh, um, and, and us as a people or as a nation or as a generation. They also develop shared attitudes, values, and goals within different cultures. And so sometimes we as, as, as parents want to impose our values and I'm not talking about biblical values. I'm talking about life values. Man, I want to achieve certain things. And so I'm expecting my child to want to achieve the same things that I wanted to achieve. And there's a disconnect because we don't realize that there are actual subtle value shifts, priority shifts that happen between different cultures that make certain things more important than others things and when I try to superimpose those things on everybody else I find myself very quickly coming at odds with certain people groups with certain subgroups in my culture and it might be in my own home that I don't realize that there is little cultures developing around my my, my, my kids and they're starting to learn to speak to one another in ways that we don't even understand what they're meaning when they're talking but the beauty about it is that Every single culture is important to God. Every single culture, therefore every single generation is important to God. The kingdom culture is basically how, the, how God wants every single one of these cultures, whether it is generational cultures, whether it is society cultures, like you, know, you have the emos and you have the skater people and you have the jocks and you have the nerds. And all these little people are basically small little cultures. But God loves them all. And the kingdom of God actually has an expression for each and every one of these cultures. Kingdom culture is how God's ideas for that subculture gets expressed within that culture. And it brings the values and the priorities of God to that subgroup, to that people group, that makes them able to see the relevance of God's word for their existence. And the beauty of his salvation doesn't matter from what cultural group or subgroup or generational group you come from. As a, as a church, we have a culture. When you came into our lobby there this morning, you were greeted by a bunch of people. There were certain ways that we choose to receive our people. And we hope that you had a really welcome, warm welcome here today. Because it's part of our culture to accept and welcome any and everybody where they're at in that minute we don't ask questions of what you did this week or we don't ask like you know uh, what are your belief system when you come here you are welcome we want you here we love you because we choose to love anybody that walks through that door that's our culture and we hope you experience a little bit about that today we have a plan that God has given us that we are running with in this church and we want you to be a part of that plan but as we've decided, first and foremost, to love anybody that comes through this door, when you come into this door, you start experiencing our culture, and our culture is leading somewhere. That decision is up to you whether you want to be a part of that culture. 
whether you want to be a part of our culture and do the things the way God has expressed his kingdom through us. And so you are welcome here. We want you to stay forever, like until Jesus comes back, right? Um, I know sometimes, okay, so first of all, what you've got to understand is that this is a pretty lighthearted church. We're not very serious. We're serious about a couple of things, and being serious is not one of them. All right, so <laughs> just loosen up here for me for a little bit today because <laughs> I'm getting, like, intimidated by the quietness of our church today. It's never like this. Where are y'all at? Y'all tired? Y'all not have a good sleep? <laughs> it's fine. We've got reclining sleeps. Just sleep now. Take five minutes. Do it. Just get over this, this thing that's happening here, okay? <laughs> Just take a nap right now. We'll forgive you if you snore. When you wake up, you'll have a little bit of, I guess, uh, you know, uh, awakeness again. So, um, so, so we have a culture here, and we want to invite you to take part in it. Um, and so today, in, in, as a part of this series, we're talking about kingdom culture, but we're also talking about how does our church choose to express that kingdom culture, obviously joy being one of them, right, which is highly lacking here today, but we're going to make a plan for that. Height. So last week we discussed two values, and we expressed them as Jesus is our center and growth is our pursuit, Jesus is our center and growth is our pursuit. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 says this, For no one can lay any other foundation than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. As a church, we submit to what the Bible says about salvation. We don't try and add anything to it. We don't try and subtract anything from it. When the Bible says that salvation is by faith through grace, to the person who chooses to understand that he, is, he, needs, he needs somebody to save him out of his sin, and he grabs a hold of what Jesus had done on the cross as a perfect, sufficient sacrifice and believes that with all of his heart, we deem that person to have been born again and saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter from which church you came. It doesn't matter which church you belong to. It doesn't matter whether you never belonged to a church or grew up in a church at all. It doesn't matter whether you've ever seen the church inside, and this is your first day. If that is your decision, if if you want to make that confession today, you will be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and your slate wiped clean. That is what we believe and that's what we stand upon. No one can lay another foundation. If a church tries to lay a different foundation, it's purely out of spiritual manipulation. They're trying to get something out of you. They're trying to get you to join that church or to, to perform a particular action, which is adding works to salvation and we don't stand for that. Jesus is our only foundation and we will not lay any other foundation. But that also means that Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives, more than just the Savior. He is not just our Savior. He is our leader. He is the one that defines what is good, bad, right, wrong. And we align with, with His opinions about life, not with our own understanding. We trust Him in every bit of, of that and, and, and try to align our lives, every part of our lives, like the Bible says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord not just as, okay, he's my savior, so I can go and do whatever I want to, and he's going to save me. No, no, no. He starts defining what my life should be about. And so life becomes centered around him and his plan, his purposes and values and his precepts. And I start living according to his ways because my life centers around him. It's a center that far exceeds being a part of a church. 
If my life is centered around Jesus Christ, I am not just a Christian when I'm at church. I am a Christian everywhere. And anywhere I get myself and find myself, there I am the same person because I live in integrity. I protect my credibility. That's what we talked about yesterday at the men's meeting. If you have integrity, you, you have credibility. If you have credibility, you can gain influence. If you can gain influence, you can have other people follow you like you're following Jesus. But it's all about getting all of our lives, every aspect of my life, centering around God's kingdom and his patterns and his, uh, sorry, his, his purposes. And then, obviously, this requires us to grow because I don't know about you, but even Paul said, hey, I'm not there yet. And I will say that too. I'm not there yet. But I am pressing forward toward that. Like he says in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ. There is a call on each and every one of us as Christians to grow, to grow, to continue to grow. John 15 talks about abiding in Christ leading to bearing a fruit. And that fruit is different things. It's not just character or moral fruit. It's also producing more Christians. He has included us in the commission to go out and make more disciples. And so each Christian has to ask themselves this question, am I discipling somebody yet? And if I am not actively discipling somebody yet, I still have a ways to grow. And even when I start discipling somebody, I quickly understand how much I need to grow yet more because I am now all of a sudden trying to lead somebody else and it introduces a whole new level of growth. But that's the thing. We're called to keep growing, to become like Jesus in, his, in this kingdom. And it's part of the kingdom culture. Growth, change is part of kingdom culture. And that's why we pursue growth. Today we'll focus on the next three aspects, I believe, that is about the kingdom, what the kingdom of God is all about. Today's um, three aspects, I believe they all relate to people and to relationships. Even only one of them actually calls out the, the person, the, the name of people, but, but they're all in how we interact with, how we receive, how we, um, how we, how we view, how we view people. And so um, we say Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship right now the reason why there wasn't like a, 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 a hundred people saying relationship right now is because i've been i've been throwing the, the the cart i've been i've been you know how do you say that i've been uh, no 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 no. i just upended the apple cart i threw out the apple cart because this is such a common saying but it's a half truth christianity is not a religion fully understood it is a relationship but it's not only a relationship it's not just a relationship it's a relationship that has purpose. Um, and if we just put it as a relationship, then um, I am basically with Tiger as a friend. If I approach Tiger just as a friend, then Tiger is my friend. And when we're in a friendship, we're equals, and Tiger don't get to tell me nothing. He gets to influence me. He gets to, you know, tell me or ask me. But I am fully like, ever said, no, I'm not doing that. No, that's not what, I don't want to do that. The relationship with Jesus is just a slight bit different. Y'all will understand, right? It's like we come into this relationship with Christ, and it's not like, no, Lord, I, I don't feel like that. It's a little bit different. <laughs> so, yes, it is a relationship, but it's not just a relationship of equals. 
It's a relationship of a father and a child. A father and a son, a father and a daughter. And we have to emphasize that because otherwise we produce this type of Christianity where anything goes and Jesus just has to, you know, just clean up the mess every time. Jesus' desire is for there to be less mess, more victory, right? And so that's, that's where also the, the call to grow comes in. But it is relational. It's not about rules and regulations that need to be performed in order to gain favor from our God. No, we've gained favor because we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We have full favor because we have placed our faith in Jesus. Not because we have believed on Jesus and we're you know, coming to church every Sunday. That gives me more favors, more heaven points. No, there is no such thing. You have the full favor and attention of God because you are included in his son Jesus Christ it is a relationship and it is relational the relationship even stretches further than just our connection with him the relationship stretches into our relationship with one another and so Jesus would echo what um, would be called the great commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself he called these the, great, the greatest commandment and the second, which is like it. It's not less than it, it's like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said in John 13, 34, I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. And that puts it in perspective because we're often, you know, okay, I'll love you, but I'm going to love you on my terms. Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to love your neighbor, love one another, just as much as I loved you. And he says that when you demonstrate the same love that I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true disciples. Everyone will know that you are my true disciples. That's John 13. Everyone will. And, and how beautiful is it that the testimony of who is a disciple of Jesus is based on, is that me? Is based on love. It's based on how well we love one another. It's not even based on how well we preach, how well we perform. It's based on how well we love one another. So, the first one I want to express y'all today, which is a kingdom value. It's, a, it's the way the kingdom operates. It operates with people, loving people, prioritizing people. And so at our church, we say people are our passion. We love people. We love all people. Okay? <laughs> we, we, we are passionate in our relationship with God. And we're passionate to see lives change to the glory of God. That's our heart's desire is to see each and every person that we meet understand why we're so giddy about God and get to experience the same foolishness in loving Him. Like David said, I will, much, I will become a fool. I'll become undignified in praising my God just because I am so, so passionately in love with Him. I know that we need to still reach that level. Because we're still very dignified, y'all. You realize that, right? Very dignified. Very afraid of, 
of, of, of how do I look when I'm worshiping Jesus? We don't have to worry about how we look when we worship Jesus, y'all. Especially not in a safe place here where everybody goes, yeah, come on. He's doing it passionately. I want to do it too. <laughs> we're passionate about God. But we're also passionate to let other people experience the same passion about God. We're passionate about all people. Every color, every nationality, every generation, every subgroup. Like, you don't have to dress a particular way to come to our church, right? Like, you can come all black, and you're welcome. You can come all white, and you're welcome. You can come fancy dressy, if you feel like it. You can come with flip-flops. If I had my way, I'll come to church in flip-flops. But I know that everybody will have an issue with that, right? <laughs> Not really. I know you won't, but I know some people just don't want their pastor in flip-flops, don't they? Um, but I truly, I, I, I love we're living in flip-flops. And I would come if I could, but I know that there's something about just honoring and respecting an environment where people might not always see things the same, that at least we want to dress more or less the same as others around us. I understand that. But at the same time, it shouldn't be that if somebody comes in looking different, they're made to feel any different than what we feel, y'all. They should just feel right on in. Welcome. And so I want to say this to you with every fiber of truth in my heart. You are welcome here no matter what you look like. No matter what you came out of. You might have come out of the gutter last night. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Come sit next to me. Don't hide nowhere. We don't have favorite seats in this place, y'all. Nobody's paid for their seats. Although one day you will when we build a church, okay? Everybody's going to pay for a seat. But that seat's not going to be yours. You're buying it for the church, okay? I can see our church is all having different kind of seats. I, I want a reclining seat, so I'm bringing me a sofa. We're like a <laughs> no, it's not going to work like that, y'all. <laughs> um. We're truly, truly passionate about every generation and every culture, every nation, every ethnicity, every language. Man, I, I so want to see Spanish people in our church, Chinese people in our church. Man, I want to see African people in our church. I want to see any kind of people in our church. Because we love all people because Jesus loves all people, y'all. So we have to build multi-style. I cannot see a church that is in line with the kingdom of God that does not build multi-style because the kingdom of God is for everybody. We have to build multi-generationally. So that's why I, I took us to task, our church, a while back to talk about our, our cynicism toward the next generation. Not that we were cynical, but culture is cynical about the next generation. And we can't follow the pattern of culture. We have to have hope and faith and vision for the next generation. That they're going to be the ones that usher in the kingdom of God into our country. And we all repented if there were any that, that we were, 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 were just maybe drifting toward becoming a little cynical about the next generation. Now listen to me. We love every generation, especially the next generation. They keep us fresh. They keep us alive, y'all. We need more of that. We have to build multicultural. 
You know, when, when, when Jesus said, um, go into all the world, he by de facto said, go to all nations. All the world did not look like you. And so there's a value that needs to be recognized by ourselves if we're coming into kingdom culture that we love other cultures. We have to build multinational. We can't just focus on the U.S. as much as we love this country. This country isn't the only darling in God's eyes. And if you believe that, stop. God loves South Africa too. I know it. I'm from there. God loves every country. He does not have favorites. And God wants every single nation to follow him and to, and to, and to become a part of his kingdom. That's why Jesus didn't come and say, hey, I'm coming to make Israel the new, the, 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 the one and only nation and nationality and my kingdom is going to live and continue to live in the nation of Israel. No, 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 no. It's my kingdom is going to start from within the nation of Israel but then be birthed to become a spiritual Israel that includes every single nation on this planet. Thank God for that because that means you and I can be a part of it. I'm not Jewish. I don't know about you. If you are, God bless your soul. Hopefully you're in Christ. But the bottom line is Jesus loves every nation. He does. And he wants us to, to align ourselves to that mentality that we will reach beyond our own nation when it comes to wanting the gospel to be preached and people to be saved. So therefore, we aim for every generation, we aim for every culture, and we aim for every nation to meet and serve Jesus Christ. And we will do that in various ways. By partnering with other organizations and people that are planting churches in other nations. We, have, we support church plants um, right now from our church in, um, in, 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 um, in Paris, in the UK, um, in Africa, in South Africa actually. Um, we're involved beyond our own borders. Why? Because the call of the gospel, the kingdom of God, sorry, is to go beyond our own borders. And not too long from now, next year, we will be sending out missions again. We're restarting that. We had a small break in time just to get some stuff in order in our own house. But y'all, we're getting ready to send out again. So get ready. Get ready. Get your passports ready. Get your passports ready so that you can start traveling. We need to go. We need to go. People are our passion. But that means that Y'all, we hurt when people hurt. When people are going through rough times, we care. It matters to us. We also celebrate when people celebrate. And so in one day, I found myself often like doing little happy dances and really sitting and crying with people. We can do both. Why? Because not because we're hypocritical. No, because we move beyond our own emotions and we connect with people around us and show compassion and mercy to people around us. That's the heart of the kingdom. People matter. People are our passion. Indifference is not an option. 
Indifference is not an option. Listen to me. If you drive by somebody that's going through a bad time and you feel nothing, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. I know it's hard to feel the responsibility at times of all the hurt that is in the world. But listen to me, y'all. In the kingdom of God, indifference is not an option. We will rather choose to sit in the hurt than grow cold in our hearts. We also believe, therefore, that any offense can be sorted out. Any offense can be sorted out. It can be overcome with love, repentance, and forgiveness. And if we don't practice these things, then really people aren't important to us. If indifference is in our hearts, we have grown cold to the passion of the kingdom, which is to take and save lost people, hurting people. So I want to encourage us. Let us come into alignment with the kingdom of God that people matter to. And that we will start reaching out again, if only with compassion. If only with a willing ear and an available shoulder. We keep risking to love and to have relationship. Even if the alternative seems more safe. The truth is, if we don't risk for relationship and we close ourselves off to that, you might feel a little safe, but you'll soon find yourself so, so, so lonely. There is a necessary risk to experience love. And you have to put yourself out there for relationships. So we put ourselves out there for relationships. Relationships that matter. We put ourselves out there to reach people that blow us off. And we cover that offense with love. The Bible says it is... Um, to the, it is um, uh, what, what, what has that verse go? It's... it's, it's That one, they overlook an offense. Yeah, well, how does that one go again? It's something about it's, 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 a, it's a, the, a man's glory to overlook an offense. It, it, it talks about the fact, this one, it just kind of came into me. It talks about the fact that it's a good thing if people offend you and you choose to not pick that offense up. You choose to rather forgive that person in the moment and continue moving forward with the same love and an attempt to reach them again with, for the purposes of Christ than you had before. You see, it's so easy to step into platonic relationships. Just relationships that are just about the weather, right? And it's even in church family easy to come into a, a lobby space and, and just, how are you? Oh, we're good. Okay, great. Find my seat. Worship my worship. Hear my message and get going. And not really re relate to nobody deeper on a deeper level about where I'm at, where I'm at with things. We choose to not have only platonic relationships. Look at me. We're all going to have platonic relationships, okay? I can't, like, you can't have a deep, deep relationship with every single person in life. No, but you have to have that with some people. And especially with some people that are also in the same spiritual journey as you are in.
So we delve into the things that matter to Christ. We challenge with truth and we hold on with love because the kingdom of God, people are important and what they go through are important. So when we lose a relationship, when somebody chooses to end a relationship, it hurts. It hurts. Every single person that we have lost in relationship because of something that went wrong, it hurts. And we hurt. But what we always do and what we never, never, never not do is keep that door open. We always keep that door open for that relationship to be restored. And we pray and we believe God that it will be restored at some time. And we pray for opportunities where we can come and we can say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how that went down. I'm sorry for what was said, what was done. Can we talk about it? Can we sort it out? Because you matter. You matter to God. You matter to us. We don't write anybody off ever, no matter how far along they move away from God, away from us, or whatever the case may be. We keep love in the front because we know that that's the only way that that relationship can be restored. It's the only chance it has. But it's important enough because it's important to God, so we always keep that door open. Here's an important thing that I feel is, is, is worth mentioning about our relationships with people. And it's about forgiveness, but it's more about the reasons why we do not forgive. The Bible says, if we walk in love, we won't keep a record of the wrong, right? We don't keep records of everything that has gone wrong before. Because the reason why we keep records really is so that we can have manipulation power. It's so that we have a little leverage, you know? to move things into the direction that we want it to go. People matter to God. And Jesus never, ever, ever manipulates anybody to do anything that he wants them to do. If Jesus doesn't manipulate people, if he offers his love freely and his acceptance freely, and he doesn't like manipulate us to, to accept it, he accepts our acceptance or rejection of it, then we can't be manipulative to people in relationships to try and get them to do things we want them to do. It takes a real maturity because I'm going to go and offer myself, my friendship, my love to somebody, and if they reject it, it's going to hurt. I'm going to try and help somebody to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And if they blow me off, it's going to hurt. But what I can do also is I can use that moment to make that person feel bad later on. To try and get them to do something I want them to do. Come back to church, rejoin a life group, or start serving Christ again. No. That's not how we ought to walk with one another. Full forgiveness lets go of that record. And it doesn't use things that have gone wrong in order to manipulate somebody into doing what is right. Two wrongs don't make a right. Yes, that person might have hurt you, might have offended you, might have done something wrong against you. But you're in the wrong for trying to manipulate him to do things right. And those two wrongs do not make a right. Manipulation uses external pressure to gain a desired outcome. But you end up losing the heart of the person. 
We cannot step into that place. We have to act the mature person. We have to offer and keep offering no matter how many times it gets rejected. No matter how many times we get hurt, we cannot step into then re- to, 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 um, to, to re- uh, respond with hurting back. Now that's where we get our hurt healed in our relationship with Jesus. And we take that as part of the suffering of serving the cross. And we glory in the fact that we we had the privilege of suffering with Jesus. And then we go and we act like Jesus again by saying, Hey, I've forgiven you. Don't you want to try this again? I know this is hard. But people matter enough for us to have to get this right. Y'all, there are so many, so, so, so there are few things in church world that creates more havoc than offense, than offenses between people. Somebody said something that they didn't think of really well, and it made you feel a certain way, and boom, I'm gone. Offense is such a destructive thing, and, 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 and the devil uses it to such effect to create destruction in a church and especially in a church that is that is smaller where most people know each other we have to be so careful we have to be so vigilant to live in the kingdom way so that we do not unnecessarily cast offense toward one another or we do not be um uh, thin-skinned if i can say it like that and so sensitive that we so easily take offense When offense comes, we have to recognize it for what it is. It's going to destroy us. But as kingdom people, we also choose to live in truth. Right? We can't live in lies. And so I can't fake nothing. If you offended me, there has to be a place where I can tell you, look, this hurt me. This offended me. What you said there wasn't right. But because we actually are too afraid of living in truth, we choose to rather accept the offense as a, as a way to just move on without having to confront the truth. But let me tell you, healing lies in the truth. Forgiveness and moving forward lies with the truth. And if we can just have the guts to go and say, look, when you, remember when you said that? You know what? That actually hurt me. And here's the reason why. I bet you, you will be found with grace more often than not if you graciously come and tell somebody that they hurt you. Who here wants to hurt somebody? Who here just has their knife in for people around them? I just want to hurt people around me. Nobody is like that. So when we do hurt somebody through an action or something we say, etc., it's probably something, at least 8 out of 10 times, something that I wasn't aware of that I was doing. And if you will come and tell me that that's what happened, my goodness, I am going to ask for forgiveness right there and then because Probably the exact opposite was what I was intending. And so if we can live in a kingdom mindset about people, which I'm going to talk about a little later, how we honor people, we might just be able to believe the best and go and say, hey, I know you probably didn't intend this, but this is what happened. And here's the effect it had on me. Could you be sensitive about that in the future? I am absolutely certain more often than not, you're going to get a gracious response. Now, sometimes somebody might blow you off and say, oh, well, I didn't intend that, so you know, you're just oversensitive. Well, in a case like that, 
you've got to dig a little deeper and go, well, I just needed you to know that. And then choose to forgive that person and walk away, not taking the offense that is being dealt then. Because then there's a, there's, a, there's a different level to that. But you can still walk away and walk in forgiveness even after you were blown off in that fashion. But we choose to lovingly walk in truth. I will rather go to you and say it and get it out in the air. But I'm doing it from a way not to come and bring judgment on you, but I'm trying to reach you again. I'm trying to sort out this thing because now there's a wall between us, right? Immediately there's something between us. and which Sometimes we don't even know what it, how to describe it, but there's just something and I just got to get rid of it. And that's my attempt to come and get rid of that something so I can have a true open relationship with you again. We have to be able to walk in truth because without truth, there cannot be trust. There can be no trust. And I would like to be able to trust people. But sometimes something goes wrong, right? And because I don't end up actually speaking the truth about the matter to that person, I stop trusting that person, but they don't even know that I'm not trusting them anymore. And then I start doing things in certain ways that they want to know, but why the heck are you doing that? And then I want to tell because I don't trust you. But it's been so much time gone past that to go back to the reason why I don't trust you is almost impossible. And now you've just created a whole big mess <laughs> because you weren't truthful right in the beginning. So it's better to just go walk in truth. Just go sort that thing out right there and then like Matthew 18 says, if your brother have offended you, go again to and tell him his fault between you and him privately where you're not exposing him and putting shame on him or her. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. That's the heart of it because people matter and relationships matter. People are our passion, so we build spiritual family. We believe in local church, and we believe in being committed in a local family where we learn all these things to walk with one another so that we'll be fully equipped to go and do that out in the world. You don't get to grow in, um, in many aspects of Christianity outside of relationships. You have to have relationships. And the best expression that the kingdom offers for relationships is local church family. That's why it's so important to be a part of a local church, not to just church hop every Sunday to a different place and, uh, or, 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 or just listen online unless you are in some form or way unable to be. But then there has to be other relationships as well that are included in what you watch so that you can build family, build relationship, learn how to share what you're learning, grow, be challenged, be known. You cannot be known with pure online church. You cannot. Nobody knows you. And if nobody knows you, nobody can challenge, your, challenge you in nothing. They can help you grow. And so it's a part of a kingdom culture to be a part of a spiritual family of real people where you can have actual fellowship, actual brother and sisterhood, and growth can be uh, uh, promoted with one another. We, we built family. How many of y'all's families are perfect? Okay. Welcome to the family. Neither are ours, <laughs> okay? <laughs> We've made plenty of mistakes. I've had to apologize plenty of times to some people in our church about things that just, sometimes it just came out wrong. Sometimes I did something without even knowing. Sometimes, obviously I never intend to hurt anybody, but sometimes in our, in our, in our, in our, in our pursuit of certain things, it, uh, misunderstandings happen. And, 
But the bottom line is it's still the best model of the kingdom and of, our, of the relationship that God has with man, spiritual family. And so it's so important that at some point you make a decision to commit to a spiritual family and start growing with those people. Get involved in the kingdom vision that they have to bring the gospel of the kingdom to our area and, 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 and go and find relationships in that place that will help you grow. Um, so that's why we build spiritual family. So let me read something for you um, from 2 Corinthians. It says here, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 3 says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There is a decision where you come into that place where you give yourself to the Lord and secondly, you give yourself to a people. You give yourself to a group, a leadership, a plan, a church where you continue your journey of giving and that is not what I'm, it's not about money it's about you who you are your gifts your talents your energy your love your compassion your participation you give you to that place and then in Romans 12 we read the whole thing about how we can um, participate in our with our gifts right each of us have been given incredible ways to participate in a people. But before I will be willing to serve you with my teaching gift or with my leadership gift or with my compassion gift, I have to make a prior decision that I will invest here. I will give to you. I will give me to you. First to the Lord and then to you. And so this is part of kingdom living is to have a people, to have a tribe. To have a place where you find yourself family and you can start growing and exercising and grow, uh, uh, your gifts and, and, and living out your purpose as well. So with that said, um, I want to move on to the second one that is about generosity. And it kind of like, you know, just flows into this. That, that heart that I'm here to become a part of something and to give myself into something is it, it, the kingdom of God is about living generously and again don't think i'm talking about money i'm talking about my life i'm talking about me i'm talking about my my efforts my willingness to love and to care generosity is the kingdom way and at our church we choose to live generously we choose to live generously with our energy with our time our resources our gifts um and that is what it that is what it is to be a part of this church. That is why you have such a great atmosphere when you come into the church, why people are welcoming you in, is because there have been people that have decided that I will give myself here to make other people feel welcome, to love other people well so that they might see that this is a place where God is honored and God is followed and they can come and they can find family. So we give ourselves to a place and we become more than just attenders in a place, right? We become, um, we become family. And so when you heard the, the sign up front say, welcome home, that is our hope, is that you will find home here. 
you'll become a part of a place where you can be generous toward and from out of this place be generous toward our community. Uh, our church is a heart to reach our community, to reach beyond our community. And that also requires a lot of generosity of spirit. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of minimum standards, y'all. It doesn't ask how little should I do. It just asks, what can I do? What can I do? Now there's a difference between a visitor to your home than your own children, right? right? If, you, if, you, if your daughter brings a, a friend home, that friend might enjoy the atmosphere in your house. They might enjoy some of the resources of your house. But that friend is not going to likely take responsibility of that house like a son and a daughter eventually would as they mature. And that's for us the difference between being a, a person of generosity. A person of generosity have taken, taken a different stance They've taken ownership of a place. They've made it theirs. In other words, they're there to try and promote its wellness more than just receive from it. We want to raise sons and daughters in this house. And I often say this, this house isn't built around a personality. If you stay long enough, you'll see many other people preach from this pulpit. I'm not the only preacher here. I am the lead pastor here, but we're, we're raising up sons in this place, and it's not built around me. It's built around Tiger and his family, Mr. Mike, Chuck, and, 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 and who else? The Natalie and, 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 and Anne, and uh, sorry if I forget you now, Kirk and Kevin, the guys. It's built around a plurality of sons that have made this place theirs, and they're becoming generous toward it. Why? Because they want it to work. They want it to be well. Mature sons start taking responsibility of a house. They start seeing a need and realizing that they're, able to meet that need, meeting that need. I love how people come often to me and say, hey, I see that there was a lack in something. Do you mind if I step into that? And I'm like, absolutely. That's sonship right there. It's generosity. It's becoming more than a, um, a dependent. It's becoming a contributor. Romans 12 talks about the marvelous gifts that God has graced every single person with, and, and it encourages us. So um, if you have a gift of, of giving, give generously. If you have a gift of teaching, teach with all your passion, training other people, encouragement. Let, let it be to encourage people around you. Um, leadership, be passionate about your leadership and, and give toward the place where you're at with your leadership. Be generous toward it because this is the gift that God has entrusted you with to be a blessing to people. I say this to some, you don't walk in your purpose until people start benefiting from your presence. Now, I know that there's levels of that. My goodness, you know, <laughs> I am benefiting my children. So I'm walking in my purpose. It's not all about church. It's about all of life. But think about where you're getting involved. There is a purpose for you. And people ought to be benefiting from you being there. You will start walking in your purpose for that particular place the moment that starts happening. How many of you are house renters? House renters. I rent a home. Okay, no, nobody. We're all ho how many of you are house owners? 
Okay, how many of you are not going to put up your hand no matter what I ask? <laughs> okay. How many of you have rented before? Did, did your attitude toward the house change slightly when you owned it? Like you, you all of a sudden started viewing that with a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, attention, more love, more, a little bit more compassion towards the condition of it. If, renters, and, and look, I, I'm renting a house, but I treat it like my own. Uh, I've never rented a place that I didn't leave better than what I received it. And that is a kingdom principle as well because I'm living generously. And I, and I want to live in that stewardship so that God can entrust me one day with ownership, right? So if you're a renter, don't take this as an as a out, okay? This is me saying you should live as if you are an owner. Step into that place. God can see that you're trustworthy. He can entrust you with more as you're faithful with the little. But in general... Renters do not have the same kind of compassion and care for the house that they live in that owners do. We don't want renters <laughs> at our church that just, just, just consume. We want people that look and see, oh, we need a little paint over here. Okay, I'm going to come with a bucket of paint next Sunday. Now, please don't paint the cinema. It's not ours, all right? We're, <laughs> we're renting it. <laughs> Who's airdropping me stuff when this <laughs> decline? Okay, um, but that's the that's the heart of generosity. It's I start seeing myself as more than a visitor. I see myself as a son, more than a renter. I see myself as an owner. I take responsibility. I take ownership, and I see the places improvement as an improvement for me. Matthew 25, verse 45 said this. Then you will answer them, Don't you know when you refuse to help one of the least important among you, these my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you refused to help and honor me. There's something in the heart of God that is encouraging us to not walk past something that we're able to attend to. It's to think about the, 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 the Good Samaritan. How many of those guys that walk past that oak was actually able to help him. All of them. All of them were able to help him. But only one person actually did. He took ownership of his fellow person's um, suffering. And he started reaching out and making a difference in that. That's the heart that he's that he is promoting here when, 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 when Jesus says that, look, if you're able to do something about something, but you don't do it, man, it's like as if you did not do it for me. But if you will do it, it will be as if you're honoring me. Which is a great segue into the final thing that I want to speak about today in the last five minutes. It's the culture of honor. The kingdom culture is a culture of honor. Our love and generosity to people honors God because it reflects God. At OSC, we like to say honor is our way. 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. 
Shall I say president? No tomatoes? Listen, we first, we honor God by choosing to live according to his ways. We don't obey God for fear of getting caught or getting punished. If you're fearing God for getting punished, you're still living in the old covenant. God has dealt with all that in Christ. And now he lives in a relationship where he washes us with his word. And his word inspires us from inside out to do the right thing. It's no longer an external threat of something that causes us to want to do the right thing. It's an internal reality. My life, I want to honor God. So, 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 so my kids, when, when, we, when my kids were very young, we were still living in South Africa. Um, I did an illegal turn. Yes, pastors do sin. I, I did an illegal turn on the, uh, off the highway to get, I was going the wrong direction. And I was just like frustrated. And I made a decision. I went forward, crossed the median. And man, it was like, it was like a bunch of uh, trees, shrubs, bushes, things, you know. And there were a gap. And I was like, man, I'm going to take this gap. So I'm pull into that gap as my nose enters and I look left to because we, you know, we drive the other way, okay? We, we drive on the, which side do we, we y'all drive on the what side? You drive on the right side? Okay, we drive on the wrong side, but we sit in the right side of the car, okay? Y'all sit in the wrong side of the car. Um, so anyway, so I have to look left to, to look at our incoming traffic. I know that doesn't make, help you, help you all, better. I'm pulling through those, that gap in that bush as I look left. I see the guy. You know that guy? And sure enough, that guy sees me. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, snap. So I didn't even just go. I just stopped. And just like, so he put his lights on. Anyway, so anyways, this like, this like, this traumatized my kids. They thought I was going to get locked up, everything. So when we drive off, of course, like, my kids are just like, like almost crying, Dad, we were so scared he was going to put you in jail. Like we were to look her up without a dad and everything. It was just horror. So they were pretty traumatized by that moment. And as a result of that, very afraid of seeing policemen on the road. So whenever they see somebody on the road, they're like, Dad, are you, are you doing it right? Are you just, are you speeding? So... So the one day, um, I was speeding. Yes, pastors do sin. Goodness. I'm con- and my, my one daughter, <laughs> not bad, okay? I wasn't like doing 90. It was like 75 or something. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm, my, my daughter sees it. And she's like, Dad, you're, you're speeding. And I'm like, baby, it's like, you know, and I'm trying to justify the five. Five is number for grace. Come on, give me the five. Uh, so I'm like, but I don't want to like mess her up. Like, I mean, this is my child. I can't go through her to stumble. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I'm trying. <laughs> Struggle's real, y'all. Come on. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm driving and, and she's like, dad, you're speeding. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. okay. And then she's like, dad, why didn't we get caught? And so I'm like, well, baby, because there wasn't a police officer around, you know, to catch us. <laughs> And, 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 and so I could see her mind start spinning. It's like, okay. So as long as there's nobody around, I'm good to go, right? I'm like, Lord, have mercy. I need wisdom right now. 
So <laughs> I'm like, and, and it hit me, and I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, I saw, and then I like, at the same time, I'm like, oh, my goodness, like the judgment just on myself. It's like, oh, Lord, parenting is hard, y'all. Um, anyway, so I'm like, baby, 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 baby. <laughs> we don't do things right because we're afraid of getting caught. We do things right because it honors God. And at that point, I'm like, I didn't honor you, Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways. We honor God because we do things right. We do things that we obey. We, 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 we try to live according to his principles, not because we're afraid of getting caught or, or, or suffering a consequence. No, that's religion. That's religion. There's no life in that. Look at me. You will not overcome sin. If, you've str- if you're struggling in a sin pattern, you will never overcome that sin with a, 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 a fear of consequence mindset. Never. The only way you can overcome habitual sins is by having a change of heart to want to honor God. If your relationship with Jesus means more to you than the temporal satisfaction of that sin, only then will you overcome that sin. You can put external controls and filters and blocks and whatever the case may be, for as long as you want, they will not change you until you change here and you want to do it God's way because it honors Him and He's your friend and you want to honor Him. That's when change happens. That's when you put that thing down and it doesn't, it doesn't even touch you anymore. That's when you change that, 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 that mind habits and it doesn't even come back anymore. Or when it does tempt you again, you're able to say, no, 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 this doesn't matter to me more anymore than my friendship with God, than my love toward God. I value this above everything. I will not go back to that because I found something that is so precious, so valuable, so lovely. I cannot compromise this. That's when you change. That's when you have victory over sin. We honor God that way. But then we choose to honor people. Y'all, we honor people. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 2.7. For you made him, people, for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. God has made each and every one of us with incredible glory. He placed his standard on you. Do you know that you were made glorious? He crowned you with glory and honor. What does glory mean? Glory means weightiness. It denotes a standard. It denotes an acceptable pattern. Why? Because if you think of of clay and a a mold, and if, if the mold comes and impresses itself on the clay, the clay takes on the acceptable standard of the mold. The standard is acceptable because you choose to use it. God used His image as a standard. Each and every one of us carries the Imago Dei, carries the image of God. That means you're acceptable because you 
bear the image of the acceptable standard. In Christ, it says, the mystery of the ages has been revealed. The hope of our glory is Christ in us. How do we change to become like Jesus? We don't change by external rules. How many of you have ever changed by somebody telling you you can't do this? It doesn't happen. Our human nature says, oh yeah, let me show you I can do this. But when Christ comes inside, and that standard bears on my heart, then I change. Then I become like you. I no longer want to do that thing. And boom. I want to do it the way He has designed it. I want to do it the way He has ordained it. He has made you with glory and honor. And because He has made you with glory and honor, I honor you. I receive you. No matter where you come from. Look, this world has dented and bent us and broken us. And it has confused us. But none of us beyond recognition of the Imago Dei. You are still made in His image. And so I receive you. And each and every one of us, if we're living in kingdom culture, will receive one another. This is why fundamentally racism, classism is sin. Because it, because it, it, it uh, refuses to acknowledge the, the Imago Dei in a person. It refuses to acknowledge that God has chosen to make this person the way they are. So important this. I have to differentiate quickly between the sociological term honor culture. And I know it's a little confusing. To the biblical concept of a culture of honor because they're not the same. And I'm not going to explain what honor culture is. If those of you who studied sociology and you know what honor cultures, dignity cultures, and, and, and victim cultures are, you'll, you'll know what I'm understanding. I want you to know, if you know about this, that kingdom culture, the culture of honor, has nothing to do with honor cultures. In fact, I would say that kingdom culture is a little bit more closer to dignity cultures, um, uh, but, but with some reservations, I'll say that. If you know what that is about, that's fine. If you don't know, don't worry about it. Let me describe to you what a kingdom culture of honor is. Honor is an acknowledgement of realities that a person finds themselves in. You are my parent. Therefore, I honor you. Whether you parented well or not. Whether you left me when I was a child or not. Honor is an acknowledgement of of certain realities it's different from respect in a sense that honor is given until a person is dishonorable the Bible says you don't have to honor a fool but honor is almost like more positional 
Now the Bible sometimes talks about honor and then it includes the concept of respect because the person that finds himself in an honorable position and is also internally honorable, they're respected by default. If you have a teacher that really does an excellent job at teaching and reaches and connects with you personally, you honor that teacher, but you also respect that teacher. Sometimes people do things that are dishonorable and it convolutes the whole situation because then it puts me in a position where I need to, I want to not honor them. In relationships that happen often, parent-children relationships, sibling relationships, you hurt me, and so now I'm going to disregard you out of my life. I'm not going to honor you anymore. Now, what you really need to understand is that honor is given because of who a person is. Respect is given because of how a person is. I respect somebody when they've earned that. But I honor people because they are made in the image of God. They have been put in positions. So I honor so I honor people, right? Like an elected official or a or a parent or a, a foster parent or a grandparent or even an aunt or an uncle that comes to be in a position of guardianship over me, I have to honor them for the position that they play and, 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 and have in my life. Like we honor, in church, we honor people that have different gifts, right? We don't look down on people who have behind-the-scenes gifts and honor the people that have the front-stage gifts. Like the Bible says, honor those who lead among you. If I will call out all the leaders in this church to stand right now, a third of this group will stand up. That's who the Bible says honor. It's not about me, y'all. I'm only one leader in this church. And if the Bible says honor those who lead among you, it's not just talking about the one guy. It's talking about everybody who has come to a place of sonship and contributorship that now has taken responsibility to give of themselves and help this ship move in the right direction. Everybody that leads, that is what we honor. Therefore, if I, I honor the person who leads my life group, I honor the person who leads my dream team, I work with them, I try to help them, I honor them. And if they're honorable as individuals, they grow my respect for them as well. But if something goes wrong and they do something that I feel like, man, I lose my respect, it doesn't mean that I automatically now lose my honor. The kingdom culture is a culture of honor. A culture of honor provides opportunity for restoration. If I say I dishonor this person, I'm cutting off all opportunity for relationship. Now, it doesn't mean that I have to respect you for what you did. That needs to be corrected. But if we can learn how to receive people and continue to receive people even when they've made mistakes or done dumb things, we keep that door open. Plus, we get to benefit from them. 
Because if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you get the prophet's reward. What does that mean? It basically just meant that you honored him for the gift that God placed on him. But the same counts for a teacher. The same counts for a server. The same counts for a person who's compassionate. The same counts for a person who's, a, um, <clears throat> who's out there uh, leading in your job, in your workplace. A mentor, an HR officer, a, a person that directs traffic. If you honor them for who they are, you get their reward. What? They're going to help you not crash into people. We sometimes understand honor, but sometimes we miss it as well. In our church, honor is our way. We choose to honor people and keep honoring people for what they bring, for who they are. Um, and that way we can truly start celebrating everybody's uniqueness, everybody's uh, 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 special purposes that we get to interact with and we get to benefit from. And lastly, we honor leadership this way. First, we honor the position. Like when I said the president, I want you all to know that it's possible to honor the president without respecting the man. Because you honor a position. And that means that that person is probably going to receive a lot more than what he, what he deserves. But I am not going to go against my own culture of honor because of another person's dishonorableness. So whomever you deem to be dishonorable, be careful that it doesn't make you stumble into dishonorable action. So we honor positions. We honor leadership. And then we honor the person within the leadership position until they prove themselves dishonorable. And then we continue to honor the position so that we might remain righteous ourselves. So let me end with why. I know that guy says that you have to start with why, but I'm going to end with why today. Here's why. Because kingdom culture don't settle for anything less than what Christ died for. We need all of these elements that we spoke about today to create kingdom culture. And if we will, God's desires will make sense and it will flourish. Here's the truth. Culture eat strategy for breakfast. If we don't become this, we can have all the plans in the world and it won't realize. We won't achieve it because who we are intrinsically is what we produce. You can only give what you have. And so my appeal to us today is to ask ourselves the question, is people really a passion of mine? Is generosity my joy and is honor my way? And to make some decisions, make some shifts. Because isn't this what the Bible says when he says in, in a, um, when, when, when God calls us to be, come, when he says, come out from among them and I will be your people. I will, be, I will embrace you and I will be your God. Come out from among them. Be different from them, right? Be different from them. We can't mimic the world. We need to mimic Christ. To be holy is to be different. It's to be peculiar. It's like, how can you be like this in a modern day, in a modern day world? Look at me, it's not being weird. Although I love weird and weird's okay. But that's not the call. That's not the objective. The objective is to be holy, to be different, to be like Christ. That our everyday existence will be a different culture. That we would 
live kingdom culture. Let's all stand today. As we stand and, and, and enter to a moment of prayer, I want to say this. Growth means change. Change means letting go of opinions and perspectives that kept you where you are at. So Heavenly Father, we just want to come today and commit to growth again. Commit to growth, Lord. Commit to learning what it means to really be passionate about you and about people. Learning how to live generously and with honor toward all people, Lord God. Father, create in our church this kingdom culture so that we might see through our church your kingdom come into our city and the surrounding areas. Lord, we ask you that in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen.